The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and visual teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Morning once again, everybody. Y'all doing good? My name is Alan, and uh, so glad that you're here with us. Uh, we are in a, 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 a theme here this year. This whole year, we're talking about something new and just going after the consistent uh, idea throughout Scripture that God wants to invite us into something new, to experience and to, to be something new. Uh, since Easter, we've actually been talking about different ways in the New Testament that the writers have talked about different ways of, of new, new things, new experiences, and uh, we've uh, been looking at that over the past few weeks since Easter, and it's all really been heading towards this Sunday. The whole thing has been a movement towards this baptism Sunday and the idea of new life that we celebrate uh, through baptism. Uh, this morning, uh, as I understand it, the last number I got was 32 people are being baptized here this morning, which is fabulous. That's, a, that's fabulous. Excited about that, and God only knows all the stories that are behind there, and it's just, it's just awesome to be a part of that. So uh, uh, if you are here visiting your family, a friend, uh, someone who is being baptized, we are so thrilled that you're here, and I uh, hope this is a great experience for you. The, good thing, the great thing about um, choosing to come on a baptism Sunday is that now because we have so many baptisms, my message has to be shorter. And so, it, I mean, it's just a great Sunday overall. I mean, many, many benefits to that. Yeah, don't clap. Uh, uh, <laughs> I have feelings too. Um, uh, so uh, anyway, we're just, we're just absolutely thrilled uh, that you're here uh, to celebrate this with us. So the, the, there's a, a concept that we're going to look at today um, that we find in the New Testament that uh, Paul, as a writer of uh, most of our New Testament, wrote a number of letters that have been gathered to, uh, to assemble to what we call uh, the New Testament here in the Bible. And, and there's a phrase, there's a phrase that he uh, uses that we're going to look at today. He he uh, says that those who are in Christ are a new creation. We're a new creation. And so, so first of all, before we launch into that, are, are all these phrases that we've been looking at over these past few weeks, are they really all the same? Are they just different words saying the same thing that we've been saying that in the New Testament, that Jesus gives us a new day because he brought a new covenant and therefore gives us new life? And as a result, we are a new creation. Are all those phrases really saying the same thing? Or are there nuances and differences within those phrases? Well, I think kind of both. I think there is something uh, that these words were chosen for a reason. And so there's some uniqueness to these phrases. And also, there's, a mac there's an overall idea of just saying God wants to do something new, something new. So today we're going to uh, dig a little bit uh, deeper into this idea of a new creation. If you are being baptized here today, if you have, uh, that means that you've said yes to Jesus, that Jesus is Lord of your life, then, uh, then Paul says to you, he writes um, to uh, believers in Corinth, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the verse we're looking at today, chapter 5, verse 17, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here, or the new has come. That's what we're looking at today. Would you bow your heads uh, with me? Father, I pray that you would um, uh, enlighten us here today in terms of what, what creation means, what this new creation means. Father, I pray that 
Uh, as we celebrate baptisms, that uh, there are a number of different angles we can celebrate that on, that we can say, yes, I've been baptized before, and I remember that, and I want to reconnect with all of that. Or we can, we can say, yes, I know the people who are being baptized, and I'm celebrating and connecting with that. And God, I also pray for any who, have, uh, who don't really know what that means or what's going on with that here, gathered here in this room. God, would you just speak to all of us in a profound way? We're thankful that you're here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, what I, want to, what I want to do today with this table that is uh, beautifully set up here in front of me is uh, I want to do a little uh, illustration, and, and, and the illustration that I want to uh, do centers around water. And I want to use uh, water here, uh, I figure on Baptism Sunday, it's a good Sunday to talk about water, to use water as an illustration, right? And uh, what I want water to represent here today is that water is life. Water is every part of life. We can't exist, we can't live without water. So this morning, water is, is every thought that we have. It's every decision, every challenge, every obstacle. It's every ability, every skill, uh, everything that makes you you. Every, everything that is a part of you, it's, we're going to have it represent water. It is just all the little pieces that makes you you, that makes us us. It's, it's water here today. So Paul talks about a new creation here in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He talks about a new creation, which I think forces us to go back to what is the original creation. Let's go back to what the original creation was. Before we can uh, look at what the new creation is, let's go take a look at what the original creation was. The very first verse in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so this here represents God. That's why we put a big G on it. See how helpful we are? So this here... This here, I'll be Vanna here a little bit. This, this container represents God. And in the beginning, with the story of Adam and Eve, they're in the Garden of Eden. And all of who they are, their whole life, their whole thought, their whole experience, is beautifully connected to God with no obstacles. That They, are, um, they have no shame. They have uh, no concerns. They're naked. They're walking around naked. Could you imagine? And they're in the perfect garden. They're walking with God in the garden. And they have no concerns. It is all that they are is connected with God. And then in chapter 3 of the Genesis story enters W. This used to go, oh, okay. Very good. Okay, I know it's contrived, but it's helpful nonetheless. Okay, so the W represents the world. Okay, so what we have, we have two containers here. We have a God container and a world container. And so what happens is that the, that the serpent, that the enemy in the form of a serpent shows up and, and says to Adam and Eve and says, okay, I, I know you're having a great time with God over here, but um, are you sure that that God has provided everything for you? Are you sure that that God is not holding out on you? Are you sure, are you sure that God said you're not allowed to eat from, any, from, any, from the fruit of any, any of the trees? And Adam and Eve were going, I'm not sure that's what God said. And, and then the serpent is saying, are you sure that God's not holding out on you? Because here's this, this, this tree here, the fruit of this tree that I think you would really enjoy. It's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an invitation to experience something in the world. And then Adam and Eve we're faced with a, with a very difficult dilemma here. 
stay connected with God or and they take a bite of the fruit. And so then a part of them, a part of them connects with that. And then as we look at the history of the people of God in the Old Testament, as the world becomes populated and God establishes the nation of Israel and they struggle and they connect with the world and they struggle and they connect with the world. I need more water. And uh, you know what? I might not even have enough water here where, where, what I got here. This is fun. Okay, so, so they, the, the whole Old Testament journey is that they struggle. And there are a few good moments in this journey. We have uh, Abraham, whose faith is credited to him as righteousness. Abraham did quite well. But then we have a number of other people who struggled and they sinned. And then we have Adam, who was a man after God's own heart. Good for you. You worship. You've connected really well. But also, he... Um, had an affair with Bathsheba, which really should be more water than that. That's a whole, I mean, that's, that's not a good representation there. But we walk through our Old Testament journey, and it's this ongoing struggle of, of connecting with God, which is what we've been created to do, and the lure and the draw started from the Satan from Satan in the Garden of Eden saying, but I want to connect you with the world. I want to connect you more and more with the world. And now we come to uh, modern time. We come to our situation here. And you and I, we are born into sin, is, is a way to understand this, is that we, we are born into the sin that, was, that entered the world through Adam and Eve. So we naturally connect with the world. We naturally connect with selfishness and not with ways that are, that are of God. We naturally are broken. We are born broken. We are uh, born into this world. That is creation. That's the, that's the creation part of it. And Paul says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. There's something dramatically, radically new and different here. That, that Jesus himself says in John chapter 3, he says that you must be born again in order to experience this. You must be created again. Uh, a, a complete overhaul in terms of this, this whole journey. That, that Paul says, if, if you're in Christ, if you say yes to Jesus as Lord, then, then you are a new creation. That instead of all, of all that makes you you, all of life, continuing to have a tendency towards the world, towards the things of this world, See, that we're, 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 we're starting to have fun here. Uh, instead, of, instead of all that, that there is this, this transfer, that because of Jesus, there's a transfer that says all of these things, all of these tendencies, all of these struggles with the world, they get transferred back to the way they were supposed to be in creation. They get transferred back to say, you are reconnected with God, the way things were supposed to be. This happens, this new creation happens because of Jesus. In the verse uh, prior to, uh, uh, verse, oh, this one's leaking. That's what's wrong with it. That's all right. That's all right. It's all good. It's all good. We got, um, let's see, we have an outlet down there. That's probably, well, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So, uh, so, so the, in the verse prior to, the, can I have uh, verse 16 up here, if you would, please? So this is the verse prior to the one we've been looking at in verse 17. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. 
though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. That this worldly point of view, it's been transferred over. We no longer do this. Christ has renewed this whole deal. It might be helpful to think of it as, 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 a, um, uh, uh, as, as our humanity is restored to health. That in the beginning of the journey, um, we were, uh, everything was perfect, everything was aligned, everything was incredibly healthy. It didn't last for very long, it only lasted for a few chapters, Genesis chapter 3. And then things started to go awry and, and the enemy pulled things away. And, um, and that, and that uh, uh, was the story of the Old Testament. Jesus comes along and, and we, get to be, um, we get to be a new creation. It means that Jesus is the, is the cure He's, he is the solution to the problem. Jesus is the one that allows us to, have, to be restored to health. That's the good news. That, that's the good news. That is the gospel. That's something that we celebrate. But there's a problem, and it's a very significant problem, that, that the, the serpent who was present in the garden, who, who lured Adam and Eve away from their perfect alignment with God, that that serpent is still alive. That the enemy wants so badly to, to, for us not to be connected with God, but to be connected with the world, to, to align ourselves, to pour our life into the world. Just, just remember this. I'll just remind you this. I say this you know, periodically, that the enemy doesn't care about you. The enemy does not want you to worship him, doesn't care about you worshiping him in that way, doesn't even care if you think he exists or not. All he cares about is that you are not aligned with God. So if we align ourselves with the world, he is happy as can be. He doesn't want you to worship him. He just hates God so much he does not want you to align yourself with God. Therein lies the problem, the tension, the conflict for the believer. For the believer is that, is, is, is that the world and God create tension in our lives, the draw towards one or the other. Now, there's, there's, this tension doesn't exist for those who are not yet believers. If you're here and, and you would not yet say that you were a Christian... Um, you would not call yourself a, a, a Jesus follower. Um, once again, we are thrilled that you're here. This is a safe place for, for us to figure this out together and ask questions and, and be honest. Please keep on coming, and, uh, and we'll, we'll figure this out together. But if you are not a believer, then, then what, what you're doing, kind of in summary, is you're, you're, all you know about is, is to connect with the world, and you are you're trying to do your best. You're trying to love people. You're trying to make the world a better place. And, and, that's, and, that's, and that's great. And there's probably some frustration in this journey about thinking something is missing. It could be why you're here today. And there's some kind of journey on that, but you're, 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 you're pursuing this not knowing what it means to connect with God, not knowing, not really experiencing tension here. But for the believer, for the follower of Christ, there, there is tension here. There, there, is a, there is a draw, and this tension is very real, and it's been there from the very beginning, and it's not just our generation, that what we have is we have Paul saying in Romans chapter 7, Paul saying, the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Ah. 
And the things I want to do, I just, I so want to do, I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I, I wake up and I say, by the end of the day, I want to make sure I get this done, but I don't do it. It's so frustrating. And then I have good days, and then, but I'm frustrated from over here, and it's frustrating. And it's this tension, it's this confusion. It's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. It's confusing, and it's frustrating, and it's every day for most of us on this journey. Kind of reminds me of uh, an old movie, sorry. I, I know I'm getting old when I, when I, I, I don't do movie clips uh, you know, into the 21st century, so I apologize for that. But, but this is a, a, a movie clip from the 20th century, and this was the struggle that Cypher had in one of my favorite movies, The Matrix. Just a short little clip here. Do we have a deal? tragic reality for, for many followers of Christ is that this tension and this struggle leads us to the point of, of giving up. Of at times just saying, I, I know this is, this is not what God has for me. I, I know this is not what God created me to be. This is not what God created me to be a part of. This is not who, who God created me to be. But I want it. I, I just want it. And so we, we take a bite. And so it's that, it's that ongoing tension, tension. And Paul implores us that if you are in Christ, then you are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. The new is here. Again, in verse uh, 16, the verse prior to the one we're looking at, he says, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view that the old way is the worldly point of view. The old point of view sees, sees, sees life differently. And Paul says there's, there's a new point of view that we need to look at. And essentially, it's the idea that, that, that anyone who is in Christ, when we say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, whether that happened for you 40 years ago or that's a recent experience for you, what that means is, and here's the point of today and this whole thing, is we need to look at every part of life in a new way. This, 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 well, I'm empty. Uh, this, this is every part of life, every decision, everything that's part of our lives. It means we need to look at every part of life in a new way and say, is this something that's connecting me with the world or is this something that is aligning me with God? Because I am a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. Looking at every part of our lives in a new way. This means, for example, looking at social media in a new way. And so I, I don't know how involved you are with that or how connected you are with uh, uh, Facebook and Instagram and, and Snapchat and whatever your uh, social media journey would be, but, but can you look at it and say, is this healthy? Is this healthy? Is the amount of time that I'm spending on social media, is it healthy? 
I know I'm connecting with people across the city and, and around the world and people I went to high school with, etc. But are those connections healthy? Is that helpful in terms of those relationships? Or does it make me feel worse about myself? And never mind what the world is doing. Set that aside. Never mind saying the whole phrase of everyone is doing it. It's just what the world is doing. Everybody's doing it at that capacity, at that level, and I got to keep up. Just never mind that. That's the ongoing draw it has been for thousands of years. Set that aside and just say, okay, I want to look at this in a new way. And I think, for example, what that might mean is that we don't set ourselves up as perfect on social media. That we don't set ourselves up and say, you know, here's, here's, here's my perfect vacation, here's my perfect meal that I had, here's my perfect life with my perfect kids. And, uh, and it, because you know the way how everyone responds to that? Same way you respond to all of their stuff. Either we see right through it or we're jealous. Either we don't believe it and we see right through it or we do believe it and we're jealous, neither of which is helpful. And so it means looking at that part of our life in a new way. It means perhaps looking at politics in a new way, looking at the unborn, looking at war, looking at the poor, looking at the marginalized in in a new way. Because politics, the natural way, the worldly way that we handle politics is it starts from the position of of how is this going to impact me? That's the, that's the starting point. How is this going to impact my health care? How is this going to impact uh, my education or the education of my kids? How is this going to impact my investment, my, my investment, my retirement, my future? But instead, can we just can look at all of the political conversation, look at all of those issues in a new way and just say, God, what, what do you want for me? What do you want for us? What do you want for our country, for our kids' kids, for our future? God, I surrender this to you, and I believe you are the one who is the king of all kings, the president of all presidents. You are the one who's in charge. I want to look at politics in a new way. It means looking at money in a new way. Because the old way, the natural way, the worldly way says it's all mine. It's mine, so I'm going to use it or spend it or give it away in whatever way I choose because it's mine. And the new way, the radical new way says None of it's mine. Not 90% of it's mine. None of it's mine. That the only reason you and I have anything is that we've been given the opportunity and the ability from God who provided it for us in the first place. And that we give generously to those who are in need, to the work of the church. We give generously to protect ourselves from slipping into the worldly old point of view thinking it's all mine. We do that to protect ourselves from the trap of thinking that way. It means looking at at family differently and those most intimate relationships, whatever family looks like for you, whether it's your spouse or your kids or your parents or your siblings or your your closest friends. We look at family differently and and, uh, particularly, you know, spouse and kids, immediate family piece. That we look at that and we say, okay, this, this group is not in the way of my joy. This group is not, is not getting in the way of my joy. This group is my joy. That this, this, my family, they are not getting in the way of my success. They are my definition of success. They are my top priority. They are my top ministry in life. That being a new creation means that we look at every part of life every aspect of life and we look at it in a new way 
And we say the old way is gone. I don't, I don't do that anymore. I want to look at this in a way. How does this align me with God? How can this align me more with God? How can this align me more with God? I know that uh, not everyone here in the room is a huge fan of hockey. <laughs> I know that. I understand that now. Uh, I know that not everyone in the room is a huge fan of the Edmonton Oilers. Which, which I grew up, born and raised in Edmonton. That was my team in the 80s, watching Wayne Gretzky, et cetera, play with the Edmonton Oilers. And, and so that's my team. That's my, I, I cheer for the Coyotes and I cheer for the Oilers. And, uh, and I know that as a result of those first two things, I know that not everyone knows what happened on Friday night. <laughs> not everyone knows what happened on Friday night. In the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, it was an historical game that some of you are aware of, but for those of you who are not aware of, I am going to use this moment to fill you in. <laughs> we, in fact, had a gathering as a staff on that Saturday, and we were at, uh, we were at the Schiffer's house, and we had a great time, and it was this great hangout, and then, and then the, the game was on, and I was going to go home, and they said, hey, we can play it here, so we watched it together, and we watched the first two periods, and it was the Ducks, Anaheim Ducks versus the Edmonton Oilers, and uh, uh, they Going into the game on Friday, they were tied two games apiece in the best of seven, and this was the pivotal fifth game. And so we watched the first two periods, and the Oilers were up 3-0 by the end of the second period. 3-0. to zero. That's, a, that's a good thing. That's a very beautiful thing. Every, everyone was happy, or at least I was. And then, and then it was getting late, and the kids were with me, so, so we went home. We went home and watched, I, I watched the rest of the game at home. And, uh, and then went into the third period, and the Ducks were frustrated because Edmonton was shutting them down, and Edmonton was looking really good, until 3.16 left in the third period. <laughs> and the Ducks scored one goal, made it 3-1. to one. Oh, they broke the shutout. Bummer. And then a minute later, they scored another goal, making it 3-2. Making it to two. And the Oilers are starting to shake, and the Oilers fans are starting to shake, and Anaheim's starting to dance. And they got two minutes and 15 seconds left, and with 15 seconds left on the clock, they score again and tie it at 3-3. Yeah, I know. You're with me. I feel you. I feel, you feel me. And then after two overtime periods, the Ducks score in overtime and win the game 4-3. to three. Never in the history of the NHL has a team lost by that much margin in that little time. I mean, the whole thing, just a boom, the whole thing was gone. So what's so, what's so important about this, what's so, what makes me waste your time with this, <laughs> is that that whole experience is so radically different depending on which side you're on. It's so radically different. That for me as an Edmonton Oilers fan and, and the million people in Edmonton who were glued to their televisions, because the game was in Anaheim, but the million people, everybody in Edmonton who was watching this, and they were in shock that this had just happened. How could, how, this is not possible, how could this have happened? And then on the other side, the 50 or 60 Anaheim fans, um, <laughs> they were completely elated. I mean, this was magic. This was, this was part of history that they get to experience. The experience of that game is so radically different depending on which side you're on. It's similar to the Super Bowl this year. For some, this year's Super Bowl was an amazing comeback. For others, it was devastating loss. It depends on which side you're on. Sometimes life feels like the enemy is winning. Sometimes in this matchup, life feels like the enemy is winning, that sin and death 
are winning. Just yesterday afternoon, here in this room, it was filled up because a family that has deep roots with our church, they, they lost their 24-year-old son to a tragic, tragic death. This is a remarkable young man died at 24. Don't even know how it happened, what happened with that. And it was a, it was a celebration of life and just a, just a terrific loss that, that, was, uh, that families and friends, et cetera, are having to deal with. And I know that there are many here in our church this year or recently who've experienced tremendous loss, unspeakable loss that makes us feel like, okay, is Satan winning? Is, is the world winning? Is, is, is sin and death winning? Which is why it's so important for us to be reminded to step back and look at the overall story of God and that we have clarity in this story that God wins. We have clarity on this story that we can, that it depends on which side we're on as far as whether it's an amazing overall story or it's a tragic overall story. And that's why we get a glimpse at the end of the story, God wins. Yes, this story has gone into overtime. I mean, the New Testament writers wouldn't have thought for a second we would still be here in the 21st century. That's my guess. I mean, this story has gone, this game has gone way into overtime. But what we have assurance of is that God wins, is that Jesus returns, and in whatever overtime period God decides to make that happen, God wins in this ongoing battle, this conflict, this struggle, this wrestling match that happens here. If you're being baptized here today, then what you've basically said, just to kind of put it in this language here, you said, I'm choosing which team I'm on. I choose God. I choose God, and I will pour the rest of my life, the rest of my experiences, the rest of my understandings. I will take my struggles that I've brought into this relationship, and I will pour them all in here, and I'm saying, uh, I am God's. That if anyone who's in, who is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, which means every part of life we look at in a new way. That's what we're celebrating here today with baptism. 